Every time we put an appointment in our phones, every time you look at a calendar, every time you write a check, does anybody write checks anymore? Every time you, you do it, it's okay. Every time you write a check, you are being reminded that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus split history in two. He split it in two. It's how impactful. You know, this is not a made-up story. This impacted history. We have B.C., which means before Christ, and then we have A.D. It's 2021 A.D., soon to be 2022. A.D. is short for the Latin phrase, Anno, Anno Domine, the year of our Lord. It split history into his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was not a political figure. He wasn't a military leader. He never wrote any books, certainly inspired one, but he never wrote any books. He never got married. And yet, no life has ever had greater impact than his and what he did for us in his life, death, and resurrection in the incarnation. Incarnation's a big word for Christmas. God became man. It's so amazing. So we started a series last week called He Shall Be Called. And there's three spots in the Gospels surrounding the announcement to Mary and Joseph about the virgin birth. She was going to conceive a child that was the Messiah. And we talked last week, he shall be called Jesus. And the profound stuff that comes around the name of Christ, the most powerful name. He shall save his people from their sins. Today we're going to look at he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then next week, he shall be called the Son of the Most High. And when I was um, probably second, third grade, somewhere in that neighborhood, my parents decided that we were going to spend Christmas in Winter Park and go skiing. And I don't remember why, but we celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve. We'd opened our presents. I think it was because we were going skiing the next day. And I don't know if my mom was like, felt guilty or something that we weren't going to actually celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. She made us, we had, there's a video somewhere of us, and she made us like come out of the rooms in the condo we were staying in and pretend like we were just waking up. And it's six o'clock at night and it's dinner time. We had to like rub our eyes and pretend like we were just waking up. And, and there's a video of that. She made us fake like it was Christmas morning. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how many people fake their way through Christmas because of two reasons. Number one, sometimes we just don't understand what Christmas is really about. The lights and the festivities and all of that is beautiful and wonderful, and I know that's why people love Christmas, and I get it. But so many people are celebrating that without understanding the incarnation, without understanding the real reason of Christmas, Jesus. I think another reason people fake their way through Christmas is because they're grieving. And Christmas has a way of stirring up or magnifying loss. Makes you think of people maybe that have passed on or broken relationships, all kinds of things. 
And so my prayer, our prayer for this little short series is that people would gain an understanding of Christmas and stand in awe of what really happened and that people would receive healing and people would receive help in a, in a difficult time of year. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. We read that earlier in worship. It's from Isaiah chapter 7, prophecy fulfilled in, the, in Jesus. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. How is Jesus God with us? What does that mean? To understand God with us, you, gotta, you have to see the scriptures. You have to see God through a Trinitarian mindset. We are Trinitarians, meaning we see from scripture that there's one God revealed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God is first and foremost a relationship, an eternal relationship between the Father and the Son through the Spirit. And when you read the scriptures that way, it's a game changer when you see that. And so we're going to look at the rest of our time in our teaching this morning in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is staggering when you really begin to understand. I, I've, I've probably read John chapter 1 over a hundred times in my life. And I, I read it every time and, whoa, this is staggering. What, what John saw as an eyewitness to the person of Jesus, and then what he writes is just absolutely, absolutely mind-boggling in a great way. So three things this morning. First of all, Emmanuel, God with us, means that he was God before the manger. Think about that. God with us, coming to us, he was God before he was born. He took on flesh. He took on our humanity. He really became human and became one of us, God. Now, God stepped into the time and space reality that he created. He stepped into it. He created God's outside of time and space. And yet, in the incarnation, he stepped into the time-space reality that he created. That's what the incarnation is all about. I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it should sound a lot like Genesis 1, the creation story to you, because John's doing this on purpose. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. We're going to talk about what that means. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Greek word for with is the word pros. Pros means face to face. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face. It was Jesus and the Father, the Father and Son face to face, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Here's what I think John's trying to tell us, that God's word is more than a book. It's more than a book. In this book called the Bible, we find Jesus, who is the purpose of the book. He is the living word of God. Everything points to him. God's word in this context is the person and power of Jesus. It's the person and power of Jesus. This is a big deal, what he's saying here. This is a huge deal. And when we, when we can get a glimpse of it, you're going to see how mighty and powerful Jesus is. The word, Greek word for word is logos. And logos in, in, in both the Greek and the Hebrew mind they had some similarities in understanding that it was the divine expression of God. That's what logos means. It's the divine expression of God, the wisdom of God. Jesus is the expression of God. He's the wisdom of God that's eternally, from eternity past. Jesus wasn't created at the, his, his birth or conception. He took on humanity. That's, that's the important part. Genesis 1, God's word creates life. He spoke and everything came into being. Psalm 33, verse 6, if you're taking notes, says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's Jesus, by the word of the Lord. Not just his speaking of, of words, but by Jesus Everything was created, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So he was God before he became human. Secondly, Emmanuel, God with us, means that now we can know what God is like. You guys know I harp on this a lot. But if you want to know what God is like, you got to look at the person of Jesus. Otherwise, we create a God in our own image or by our own experience, or by our earthly fathers, or some, some sort of outward thing. But to know what God the Father is like, is to look at His Son, like Father, like Son. Trying to explain an infinite God to our little finite minds is like an astronomer who has all the telescopes and knowledge of the, the solar system and the universe and the planets and all of that. It's like an astronomer who knows all that trying to tell us about the universe. It just doesn't do it justice, right? You know, who am I to tell anybody about God? He's so vast and so amazing. Do you remember in school, though, you would have models? It'd be like a model of the solar system. Anybody remember that? Elementary school, middle school? Just me and Darcy. Okay. Do we go to the same school? Um, yeah, you are older than me. I forgot that. Uh, just kidding. By a couple years. But there, was, there would be a model. You'd see like the sun and then, you know, Mercury, Venus, so on and so forth. And you, you take something that's so vast and so big and we, so that our little minds can wrap our head around what this might look like. Jesus became our model. By him coming and taking on humanity, he becomes our model to explain the vastness of the Father, the vastness of our God. John, 
continues in chapter one, he says, and the word became flesh. That's Christmas. You wanna know one verse that is what Christmas is about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So he switches from the Genesis story here. Now he's moving in to the Exodus story. The word, for, the word dwelt among us, dwelt could be translated tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. He camped with us. Remember in Exodus, they had the tabernacle that went with the children of Israel as they wandered for 40 years in the desert. God's sacred presence, his sacred space was in the tabernacle. God's always had sacred space. He's, had the sa- he, he's everywhere, but there's always these places like in the Garden of Eden. That was his sacred presence dwelt there. It was his sacred space in the tabernacle, then in the temple. Now the New Testament tells us that we are the sacred space of God. He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. It's the place where God and heaven, heaven and humanity are connected. Then John continues and he says, no one has ever seen God at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has explained him. Jesus showed us what God is like. And what I see from this, which I think is beautiful for us to understand, is God's approachable. You and I can freely approach our Father because of Jesus. In Him and through faith in Him, we have freedom and confidence before God. Ephesians 3.12 says that. So we can approach God. And it shows me, you know, you look at the life of Jesus, Broken people flocked to Jesus. If you're broken today, he welcomes you. If you realize your flaws and your your failures, he says, come to me. Come. There's an invitation for us to come to him. He's approachable. I see that God is humble. God is a risk taker. (laughs) He made himself vulnerable in becoming God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So beautiful. And then Emmanuel, God with us, means we receive the best gifts. We receive the best gifts. Jesus is the best gift. He is the gift of God. When we give each other gifts this year, every time you receive a gift or give a gift, you're reminded of the gift of Jesus. That's why we do that. It's more than just getting. There is the remembering of the gift of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Staggering. He gave the gift of Jesus. John continues, he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Really moved by this this morning. 
Because the more you meditate on the gift of Jesus, the more you appreciate it, the more you're going to want to commune and connect with him. Thanks to my lovely wife, I'm channeling my inner Joel Dennis with a visual illustration. Joel likes visual illustrations, so I had this idea. In the person of Jesus, we receive the five most important gifts we need. He gave us five gifts in God with us, Emmanuel, that each one of us need. The first gift is the gift of light. The gift of light. There you go. How about that? Thought I would get applause or something for that. (laughs) Appreciate it. The gift of light is that Jesus... He answers the big questions of life. Life. I remember when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, it was like, why do I exist? You know, what's the purpose of life? What happens when you die? Why is this world so screwed up? Jesus answers all of those questions. He turns the lights on for us. When you're walking in darkness, literally, you can't see where you're going. You tripping and stumbling. Jesus came to light up the darkness. He came to show us the way. So important to understand that. It says in John, this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. I look around this room this morning and I see stories of people who were walking in darkness that are now walking in the light. We were in darkness until he turned the lights on. We didn't know it, but we were. In the scriptures over and over, especially in the Gospel of John, the metaphor of darkness and light is everywhere. Darkness represents evil. Satan and his cohorts and the fallen angels the powers and principalities of darkness, but it also represents the fallen mind, our minds being darkened by a false concept of God, that somehow God's out there and disinterested in, in, in us. And yet, that's, nothing could be further from the truth. That's why he came, became Emmanuel, God with us, to show us how much God was interested and loves us. I see these stories was thinking about you guys this week as I was putting this together. I thought, man, Lord, you're amazing. In John chapter 8 is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus, this, they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus to see if Jesus will be true to the law of Moses. Because in the law of Moses, it said the person that commits adultery should be stoned to death. And they bring this woman, why didn't they bring the man? We don't know, but they're picking on her and they bring her to Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and they say, hey, this woman's been caught in adultery. The law of Moses says we should stone her. And Jesus says, okay, uh, 
any of you without sin, you know, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then he leans down and he writes something, says in the, in the dirt, and one by one, those that were condemning her began to leave because they knew they weren't without sin, right? And they leave and they leave and they leave and then Jesus stands up and he looks at her and he says, where are those that were condemning you? She says, they all left. And he says, neither do I condemn you. He was the only one that had, could do it without sin and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then he makes this triumphant statement and he says, I am the light of the world. He or she who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. I love that verse. That when you and I follow Jesus, and when we put him first in our life, that when we put into practice what he taught, and we follow him, he says we'll never walk in darkness. I don't want to walk in darkness. I want to walk in the light. So when you follow, following Jesus is more than saying I'm a Christian or that I believe. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. In the hard times, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to love. I'm going to walk at peace with people. I'm going to do what you say to do. When we do that, we walk in his light. Second gift is the gift of of grace. Appreciate it. It'll get better each time. John says, for of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, which literally could be translated gifts upon gifts. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Sometimes in the West or in the evangelical church, we look at the law of Moses as a burden, that it was just thou shalts and thou shalt nots. But the law was actually a gift. It ordered society. You know, the, the world that Israel was called out of, Abraham and then Moses, that was a brutal, brutal world murders and debauchery and all kinds of crazy thing. And so they ordered society through the law of Moses. And it still affects our world today in a great way. We're, we're grateful for that. But then grace and truth were the realization and the fulfillment through Jesus of the law of Moses. It was fulfilled. Grace, by I like the definition of grace, is the power to do what you could never do on your own. You need grace to do, and the power to do what you could never do on your own. Grace is never earned. It's never merited. It is a gift to be received, opened, and enjoyed. That's what grace is. You receive it like a gift. You open that gift, and you enjoy that gift. That's what grace is. And the third gift that comes in the person of Jesus is hope. We know we need some hope today. <laughs> you guys are too kind. Hope, why well, I'm so weepy, but hope is the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. 
Hope is the confident expectation that God will do what he said he would do. It's important that we understand that. That's hope. Now, we don't hope the Rockies will win the World Series. We don't hope the Broncos will win. We wish. We wish they will. Well, they're playing the Lions, so they probably should. But we wish for that. But we're not confident in that. There's no guarantee in that. But hope is the confident expectation in God's faithfulness. And Paul, the apostles, in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. The hope of glory. Our hope has to be in something that can't be taken away from us. People can be taken away from us. Jobs can be taken away. Money, possessions, etc. But you know what can't be taken away? Our hope in eternal life with Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory, nothing can take that away. Nothing can take away our hope and understanding of the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from that. The confident expectation of God's faithfulness. Fourth gift, which some of you need today, peace. Listen to this, what Jesus said. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Whose peace do we get? Jesus' peace. God is at peace with himself. And he says, I give you my peace. Not as the world gives. The world's peace is, for you and I, is when everything's going good in life, everything, bills are paid, da-da-da, I'm healthy, then I, I, I can be at peace. But as soon as something rattles that, we lose our peace. And Jesus is saying, listen, my peace I give to you. We need to receive that. Then we have peace. We have peace vertically with God because of Jesus. He wants us to walk in peace horizontally with one another, that we overlook the faults of others, that we forgive when somebody wrongs us, and we strive to walk in harmony and peace as far as it depends upon you and I. And then inner peace. So many people are lacking inner peace. We're striving, we're fearful. Things are chaotic. And he's saying, listen, just quiet. My peace I give to you. Be still and know that I'm God. And then the last one, fifth thing he gives us is joy. Joy. I'm not very good at decorating trees, but looks pretty good, right? Yes. I appreciate it. Joy. Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you so that, say it with me, my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. His peace, his joy, it's a package deal. You get that when you trust and follow Jesus, you get his peace and you get his joy. Do you believe honestly that God wants you to have everlasting joy? Okay. Do good parents ever tell their kids, you're going to regret trusting me? Do good parents ever say that? Jesus has said, you will never regret trusting me. You will never regret the day you put my, your life in my hands. He, you will never regret, you will never regret following him wholeheartedly. There's no regrets. I will regret the times in my life, the things that I do when I'm not following him, yes. But the days and moments that I follow him with all my heart, we will never regret that. You will never regret giving him all of your life, giving it back to him. He says, my joy will be made complete in you. Joy doesn't mean we're not gonna go through difficulties doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficult circumstances. Jesus said, that's what I love about Jesus. He never pulls any punches. He said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. But take courage. I've overcome. We can trust him. We will never regret trusting him. Will you stand with me? I'm a little burdened in my spirit this morning as we, if you watch the news, you look around the world, so much discord and fear and disunity and this is not a time to be apathetic in our walks with Jesus. Never is a time to be apathetic. But I sense the Lord calling us to wholehearted devotion to Him. And that devotion is wholehearted devotion to one another in your key relationships and in the church and in the church family that we're devoted to walking with him and putting into practice what he said to do. Following Jesus isn't a set of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules. It's what does love require of me? That's how you fulfill the law of Christ is asking every situation, what's love requiring of me right now? Is it requiring me to forgive? Is it requiring me to serve? Is it requiring me to give up my selfishness? To deny myself? What's love requiring of us? And that's my prayer all the time for us, is that as his disciples, people will know we're his disciples because we have love for one another. So if you were to be honest with yourself this morning, is there an apathy at all in your walk? And simply just repent of that. Have a change of mind. Say, Lord, I don't want to be apathetic. Keep me free from that. Or keep me free from the lies of the enemy, the subtle schemes of the enemy. If there's somebody you need to forgive, forgive them in your heart. 
somebody you need to serve, care for. And trust in the Lord to, to touch your heart as he's touched mine about some things that he wants me to repent of. I'm right here with you. I'm never talking down to you as somebody that's arrived because I'm right in the thick of it with you, growing in my own relationship. But he wants to mature us. He wants us this Christmas season to recognize him as God with us. He's with us. You are the sacred space of God. (laughs) You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if there's anybody watching or in this room that's never come into agreement with Jesus, that's what I think faith is, is agreeing with Jesus. He's the Lord and he's my Savior. We don't make him Lord and Savior. He already is. We just agree with him. You can do that today. So, Father, bless your people today with a greater awareness that you are with us, that you took up residence in us. Emmanuel, God with us. God, I pray that you would bless and strengthen those who are hurting this morning, grieving in difficult relationships. Bring your healing. God, I pray for those that have physical health problems. Be the healer, God, with us. Comfort them, strengthen them. And Lord, we recognize that you hold all things together by the word of God, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for you, Lord Jesus. Father, we're grateful that you sent your son at the right time. Jesus, we're grateful that you poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. May we in our normal, everyday week recognize the greatness of you with us and enjoy your presence. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.